Good evening. It is good to see each of you. If you're visiting with us tonight, we welcome you. Uh, You encourage us by you being here, and we hope that we can encourage you. If you would be turning your Bibles to Deuteronomy, the 26th chapter, in just a few minutes we'll begin looking at Deuteronomy, the 26th chapter, and we'll look at several passages tonight uh, throughout the Scriptures. We are thankful uh, that Ronald and Lanita Grimes are with us this evening. They uh, hosted us as a part of the Dayton congregation, uh, the Dayton Church of Christ congregation, recently in a stateside mission trip, and they were very, very uh, warm and cordial while we were there, and they were very hard workers, and they encouraged us a whole lot in that work there, and we love and appreciate the congregation, and we are glad that they are with us tonight. Also, I want to encourage you to be uh, saying a good word to our young people that participated in our Bible Bowl recently. We are so thankful for Dennis Nozel and for Nick Nance that helped work with these young people. And there were several other adults also, but those two kind of headed up that. And there were 25 of our young people that went yesterday and participated in a Bible Bowl in Cookville. And there were about 50 from here, counting the adults in attendance. And they joined about 1,200 other youth from around five states to participate in this. And uh, we're thankful that we have youth that want to give their attention, uh, to take, if you will, their extra time and devote to a study of God's Word, and that they enjoy learning God's Word. They're motivated to do so, and they're disciplined to do so. And we would be amiss if we did not mention especially Alan Cantrell. Uh, He was our high scorer again this year. He scored 91%, and that is amazing with the number of questions and the difficulty of the questions from the books of Judges and Ruth. And so we're thankful for each young person that took part in that, and uh, we are thankful for Alan and him using the great intelligence that God has given him for such a purpose as that. Also, Uh, I heard from Andrew this afternoon, and he said to be sure and to tell all of you, uh, thank you for remembering them in their prayers. They will begin this coming week a second campaign, and this particular campaign will be in Krasnormysk, and they encourage us to pray for them. And also, he wanted all of you adult Bible class teachers to know that he hopes to be at a location tomorrow that he can email to us Lesson number three, which will be this coming Sunday morning's lesson. And so I'm assuming he's not going to mail that to each of you individually. If you want that, you email me. And when I get it, I'll email you a copy. Uh, And if not, see me Wednesday night and maybe we can get them distributed. But uh, if you will just contact me sometime this week through email or whatever, I'll be glad to get that to you as I receive it. Also, we talked this minute, this morning, a few minutes about homecoming. One of the very exciting parts of homecoming that I failed to mention to you, and uh, it's time to be sure and get the word out about this because this is something you'll want to begin any day now. And that is, if you remember five years ago, we buried a time capsule that would be uncovered at our 150th anniversary. Now, when we did that, So many of you participated. The the response was really amazing how many wrote letters and put in that time capsule. But one of the things that we were continually told was, we'd love to do this again for a shorter period of time. So this year we're going to bury a 15-year time capsule. Uh, Please go ahead and be scribing out your letters that you want to be read when that is uh, uncovered 15 years from now. 
uh, write letters to the congregation in general. What is your hope and your prayer and your expectation for this congregation? Write and describe what life is like now in the town of Mount Juliet and in the congregation of Mount Juliet. But also and especially if you would like, also address some letters to your family members so that 15 years from now, Uh, They too can read what was on your mind and heart. And maybe you'll be standing right beside them when that's read. And maybe you won't. And if you're not standing with them because you're no longer on this earth, wouldn't it be awesome for your family to be able to read a letter from you uh, at that particular time? Uh, So uh, be thinking about that letter and, and be ready to write that and submit it to us. And we will be able to photocopy that in a way that it will be preserved. Uh, for those 15 years. Also, uh, the elders wanted me to mention to you tonight that there have been some questions about just, uh, just some details about the special contribution that it would help if we could clarify this. The plans next Sunday morning is after the contribution is collected that, that we would say is our regular contribution. After that is collected, uh, the, the baskets will be taken back and emptied and then uh, and then another contribution will, will be collected, which will be specifically for uh, the indebtedness of this building. And so uh, several ask if they should make one or two checks. And so I guess the answer to that is two large checks, okay? Uh, but uh, hopefully that matter is clarified. Hopefully we've, we've taken care of any questions that individuals would have about that. It is amazing to be a part of a busy and active congregation because there are just so many good things that just need to be mentioned and clarified and and we're thankful for that, but we're also thankful for a time that we can go into a study of God's Word. These bookmarkers are encouraging you to study the Bible daily and encourage you to remember where passages are about some very important things about the church. They are available again tonight. If you fail to receive one of those this morning, please be sure and do that. And that is a conjunction with our fall focus of the family of God. Tonight, we'll look also about the family of God. And and it's a very intriguing study to me because anytime we can tie things out of the Old Testament and the New Testament together, it's intriguing. You remember that there are passages in the New Testament and Colossians that teach us that the old law was a shadow of things to come. Now think on that for just a moment. The old law is a shadow of things to come. One of the things that we see in the Old Testament is that oftentimes God referred to Himself to the covenant people. He referred to them saying, I want to be your God and I want you to be my people. And so oftentimes when we think about the church, we think about many aspects of the church. But one of the things that we often do not think about are the times that God refers to us as His people. In other words, that's a very important understanding that we ought to have if we are going to think like God thinks about His people and about the church. And so I'd like for you to think with me tonight as as we just lay some groundwork through the Old Testament and into the New Testament and see what does this mean for us today. Look with me if you will to Deuteronomy the 26th chapter. Let's read four verses here beginning at verse 16. And notice how we begin here. And by the way, the reason that Moses is doing this at this point in time is he knows that he's not going to be alive much longer. He knows the covenant that was made with their forefathers, which keep in mind, while they were out in the wilderness, most of those adults died. And so now he knows that a new leader, Joshua, is going to lead a new generation of people. And so he's setting things back in order. He's reminding them of the agreement that God made with the forefathers and the agreement that the forefathers made with God. And so he's reminding them of these things. Verse 16. 
This day the Lord your God commands you to observe the statutes and judgments. Therefore, you shall be careful to observe them with all your heart and with all your soul. Today, you have proclaimed the Lord. Now notice this phrase. You have proclaimed the Lord to be your God. And that you will walk in His ways and keep His statutes. Now notice... These phrases that we're reading right now are definitions of what it is for us to become God's people. So it would be people that would walk in His ways and keep His statutes, His commandments, His judgments, that you will obey His voice. Also today, now He's turning the tide here. The Lord also proclaims you to be His special people. You see, the previous verse, He was saying, this is what it is for God to be your God. And now he's saying, now look at the blessings if you are my people. And he says, I want you to be my special people, just as he promised you, that you should keep all of his commandments and that he will set you high above all nations. See the blessings that's coming about being the special people, which he has made in praise, in name, in honor, that you may be a holy people to the Lord your God, just as he has spoken. Now, on this next slide, we see just a few examples of some scriptures that could be multiplied over and over and over where God used terminology to say, I want to be your God and I want you to be my people. What does God mean by this phraseology? I want you to be my people. We see here that he's saying, I want you to be people set apart to live by the commandments, the statutes, the judgments, etc. that I've given to you. But then notice he also says, when you become my people, there are blessings that I'm going to give under the old covenant. He says, I'm going to protect you from other nations. I'm going to lift you high. Other people will praise your name. In other words, other people will say, wow, isn't that a great nation of people, the children of Israel? And so it's a very significant thought. Now, go over, if you will, to Hebrews, the 11th chapter. Now, we're going to work our way to the New Testament, but this particular passage, even though it's found in the New Testament, we're still tying this back to the Old Testament. We're about to read in Hebrews, the 11th chapter, where Moses is referred to in the great hall of faith, if you will. Hebrews, the 11th chapter. Notice what is said about Moses in 24 and 25. Keep in mind, he was raised as a child of an Egyptian. But remember, it was his mother that nursed him and apparently taught him the kind of person, the kind of people that they were. So when he reached the age of 40, he had to decide, am I going to be the people like the people of Egypt? Or am I going to be the people like the people of God that my mother taught me about? He had to decide what kind of person he was going to be. And so let's read this. And and we're reading here in verse 24 and 25, Hebrews 11. By faith Moses, when he became of age, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. You see, that was one kind of personhood that he could have claimed. But he refused that. Choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the passing pleasure of sin. There we see that he made his decision. I want to be a part of the people of God. Under the old law, that was a very significant blessing. It was something for which they strove to achieve in their life, if in fact they were faithful to God. 
How does this translate over into the New Testament? Be turning, if you will, to Luke the first chapter. If you remember in Luke the first chapter, this is where we learn about John the Baptist being born. Remember, he was the cousin of Jesus, born a few months before Jesus, and he was to be the forerunner to prepare the way for Jesus. Now, we so often say prepare the way for Jesus that we may forget that really what he was doing, notice the phrase here, he was preparing the people for Jesus. Now, this is interesting how it ties over from that Old Testament concept where God said over and over, I want to be your God and I want you to be my people. And so now John is going to be born and John's going to be that great prophet before Jesus that's going to prepare the people. Look with me, if you will, in John 1 and 17. I'm sorry, in Luke 1 and 17. As we look here in Luke 1 and 17, he said, he will also go before Him. This is John will go before Jesus in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of justice. Here it is. To make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Skip down and read verse 68 and we see a description of a people. In 68, and there's other even passages here in Luke 1 that we could read, but we'll read this this one here in 68. Blessed is the Lord God of Israel, for He has visited and redeemed His people. See, Zacharias is being told, this is what your son's going to do. He's going to prepare a way for the people. Well, who's the people? The people are the ones that Jesus is going to redeem. Now, when we look in the Scriptures, in Acts, the second chapter, as we did this morning, about those that were saved, at the same time that they were saved, they were added to the church. In other words, they became the people of God. And so, in a very literal sense, the church, it too, is the people of God. In the Old Testament, it was those that were under the covenant with God that were the people of God. In the New Testament, it's those that are part of the Lord's body, the church. Look with me, if you will, to 2 Corinthians, the 6th chapter. 2 Corinthians 6. He's writing, of course, to the church. He's writing to the church that locally met at Corinth. And notice what he says here as he describes the people. Notice as he describes their belief system, their identity, if you will. We're in 2 Corinthians 6. We're going to begin reading at verse 16 and go into the first verse verse of chapter 7. In 2 Corinthians 6 and verse 16, And what agreement has the temple of God with idols? For you are the temple of the living God, as God has said... Now, let's pause here for just a moment. I should have gave you this lead in. We're picking up in the middle of a paragraph. The beginning of this paragraph, he's talking about those that wanted to fellowship with idols and also try to fellowship with the church, which would be the people of God. And he's saying, you can't do that. What fellowship will those of idolatrous have with those that are the people of God? And so he is correcting, if you will, the people of God for thinking that they could do that. And then he quotes some Old Testament passages, and one or two he even adapts a little bit. And he can do that because he was writing by inspiration. And he makes them very powerful to identify the people of God under the new covenant. And so we begin reading at the rest of verse 16 here, where he says, As God has said, I will dwell in them and walk among them. Here it is. I will be their God. And they shall be my people. Therefore, 
Come out from among them and be separate, says the Lord. Do not touch what is unclean. I will receive you. I will be a father. Here it is again. I'll be a father to you and you shall be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. Now let's go ahead and read the seventh chapter in verse one and notice how there's to be a separation from the people of God in the world. Therefore, having these promises... You see, people of God, not only do they separate themselves in service to God, but they always enjoy the promises or the inheritance that God gives only to His people. Therefore, having these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. In other words, we see in this passage a bit of the identity And we even see the character defined in the church. The church is who? The church. They're those that have decided to be the people of God by stepping out of the world and coming into Christ. They're ones that because of the decision that they have made, because of the grace that's been offered by God, now they live a life that is cleansed and is forgiven and they enjoy the promises and the blessings that only come to those that are people of God. This may be something that you say, well, preacher, that's no big deal. Why are you making a big deal of it? See if this strikes you as something important. You and I can go out and join a social club. We can enjoy being a part of a civic organization. But friends, I have to realize that when I become a part of the Lord's church, I am to become a part of the people of God. With that comes responsibility for me to set myself apart from the world, but also with that means that I become a person that is ready to receive the inheritance, the blessings, and the promises of God. In other words, if you took the richest and and most powerful king, and someone said, oh, I'm kin to him. You said, you mean you're people of theirs? Oh, yes, and and he blesses our life, and he looks after us, and he guards us, and and he's going to give us a great inheritance. People would go about, and they would refer to that family. They would refer to that kinship, to that people that belong to that king, that are blessed by that king, that are identified by that king. Friends, the point is this. Church is not just something we attend. It's not even something that we just join in the same sense that we say, oh yeah, I'm a member of the such and such club. If we have a proper understanding of the church, we must grasp the fact that we become a different people. It's who we are. It's who we've become. It's the identity that we find. Are you worldly? Hopefully all of us could say, no. I don't want to find my identity in the world. No, I'm not worldly. I want to be a part of the people of God. Do you have hope? Yes, I have hope. I'm a part of the people of God. I have the greatest possessions and blessings that ever has been offered to anyone. And so it is. We find our identity. We find the characteristics that define us when we find ourselves as being a part of the people of God. 
As we think about this, I'd like for you to think about, and, and uh, this is just a point of interest. When we look at the word people, the Greek word for people is lehos. Now, it's interesting that lehos is also the word, the Greek word, which the English word laity is derived from. Now, in the religious circles, we hear a lot of talk about clergy and laity. Now, is that anywhere in the Bible? Well, the idea of laity in the sense of people is definitely in the Bible. But if you run upon a religious leader and, and he says, oh, I'm not laity, is he saying I'm not a part of the people? You see, there's no such thing in the Scriptures as an individual that's a part of God's family, but they're not a part of the people of God. You see, there's a problem here to say, oh, no, no, I'm not a part of the people of God. I'm the, well, what are you? I'm the clergy of God. You don't find that in the Scripture. The only ones that's a part of the people of God in the Scriptures are the ones that have identified with God. And there is no hierarchy in that sense in the Scripture. Now, it is interesting to note that the word kleros, that is a Greek word, that from that Greek word we have derived the word clergy. Kleros means inheritance, lot, possessions. In other words, whenever the individuals were at the foot of the cross and they were casting lots, they were casting kleros. Now when we think, what is meant when individuals say, oh, oh, we're, we're part of the clergy. Well, first we know it's not scriptural at all. But then second, we have to ask, what do you mean you're a part of the inheritance? Are you saying that God has given you some kind of inheritance that He hasn't given anyone else? We don't find the people of God divided. We don't find an idea of laity and clergy. I'd like for us to look at a couple of passages. One, if you would, go to 1 Peter, the second chapter. 1 Peter, the second chapter, it's interesting to see how we have an idea of people and we also have an idea of a very, very special office in the Old Testament. And notice how these are joined together in First Peter, the second chapter. First Peter, the second chapter. Look, if you will, in verse 9 and 10. He says in First Peter 2 and 9, But you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood. Now that's powerful. In other words, someone says, well, no, no, I'm not of a common people. I'm, I'm part of the, the priesthood, the fraternity of priests. Well, if you and I are part of the people of God, we are priests. You see, the Lord brought it down to a, a level plane. Now, notice what he says next. A holy nation... His own special, and we're back to the word people again, lehos. You see, he's gone from the idea to say, look, because now we do not have to go through another individual to approach God. Jesus Christ is now our mediator. We don't have to have other priests to go through. 
We, in that sense, can be our own priest. But also know that you're a special people. You're a people that's going to receive special blessings. What beautiful descriptions. Now, when we go to Acts, the 26th chapter, in verse 17, we're going to read 17 leading to 18, which we see uh, Kleros being referred to in verse 18. Acts 26 and 17, I'll deliver to you from the Jewish people as well as from the Gentiles, to whom I now send you. By the way, this is Paul standing before Agrippa, giving an account of his ministry. And notice what he says in 18, and see if you can pick out Kleros here. To open their eyes in order to turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and an inheritance among those who are sanctified by faith in me. You see, when we look at Kleros, it is individuals that have become the people of God. If anyone's a people of God, there's two things. And this goes back to the things we were looking at also in 2 Corinthians 6. It's individuals, number one, that's been forgiven. In other words, they've left the life of the world. They have been set aside. But also, notice, they're also going to receive an inheritance. From who? We're going to receive an inheritance from God. We are God's possession. We are given gifts from God because He's the King and we are His people. And so that is the idea of, of Kleros here. And it's the beautiful idea of receiving an inheritance from Him. Now, is it only among an elite group? No, notice this. It's among those who are sanctified by faith in me. It's not where, okay, there is a majority of people that are lehos. They're just the people of God. Then there's only a minority of people. Now, they are really the ones that's going to receive the great inheritance. No. He speaks to both, referring to everyone that are part of the children of God. Look with me, if you will, to 1 Peter, the fifth chapter. 1 Peter, the fifth chapter, he speaks to the elders. And he says in 1, 2, and 3, speaking to the elders, and he uses the word kleros in verse... Three. Notice he says in verse 1, The elders who are among you I exhort, I who am a fellow elder and a witness of the suffering of Christ and also a partaker of the glory that will be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God which is among you, serving as overseers, not by compulsion but willingly, not for dishonest gain but eagerly, not as being lords over, now here it is, not as being lords over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. How are the individuals that make up the flock, how are they an inheritance or a possession that's entrusted to elders? We are God's people. And so the elders, God is saying to them, this is not your people. I'm taking my people and I am entrusting them. I'm giving them as an inheritance, if you will, a possession. And you're responsible for caring for this. It has nothing to do with a hierarchy. It has to do with stewardship. How will you look over them? Now, we're going to sum all of this up with hopefully a passage that will bring it just completely down to earth. 
If you will, look to Matthew, the 23rd chapter. Matthew, the 23rd chapter, this is before the church was established. Jesus knew what He wanted to establish. He knew what He was going to establish. And He knew how the religious folks of that day were living. They already were living under a, an idea in their society that could have been described by today's definitions in the religious world as a clergy system and a laity system. And it must have just burned the Lord up. So you can imagine Him walking through the marketplace and you can see this idea of individuals that thought they were so much greater and so much more important than the other religious people. And so Jesus takes this opportunity to speak to those that are going to be the leaders of the New Testament church. Acts 2 is not that far away from the time of events that are taking place here. And he's going to look at these leaders and he's going to turn to his future leaders of his church. He's going to say, you see the way they're doing that? We're not doing that in my church. Well, let's read and see what they were doing. 23rd chapter, we begin reading verse 1. We'll read a few verses to get the groundwork here. Then Jesus spoke to the multitudes and to his disciples, saying, The scribes and the Pharisees sit in Moses' seat. Therefore, whatever they tell you to observe, that observe and do. But do not do according to their works, for they say and do not do. In other words, he's saying, this is under the Mosaic law that they're living right now. Christ hasn't died yet. And so he's saying, look, they're going to ask you to do the law of Moses. Of course, you do the law of Moses. But don't follow them in what they do because they don't practice what they preach. They're going to tell you to follow the law, but they're not going to follow it. And so now we read on. And, and that's really a, a powerful example for us. Do we follow the leader or do we follow God? Here's a good example of we follow God. Verse 4, For they bind heavy burdens hard to bear and lay them on men's shoulders, but they themselves will not move them with one of their fingers. Now notice, this is where the problem sets in in verse 5. This is the motive of the problem. But all their works they do to be seen by men. Everything we're about to read from here out about these individuals, we see that it was pride and arrogance. They wanted to be seen. They did not care about righteousness and being faithful to God. And so here's what they were doing. They were making their phylacteries broad, and they were enlarging the borders of their garments. They loved the best seats at the feasts, the best seats in the synagogues, and greetings in the marketplaces, and to be called by men, Rabbi, Rabbi. But you do not be called Rabbi, for one is your teacher, the Christ. Now here's the summary of what it should have been. And you are all brethren. Do not call anyone on earth your father, for one is your father who is in heaven. And do not be called teachers, for one is your teacher, the Christ. You see everything that they were doing to be seen by men? In other words, the phylacteries, which is pretty odd to us today, but it was a leather strap that held a, a parchment square box with four scriptures written on it. That this was a custom that they were to keep and they would have this strap wrapped around and sometimes they would have one between their, their eyes, their forehead, and it would be the fontlets that we read about in the Old Testament. Well, they had what would be the typical size. But then these leaders, they wanted to be seen by individuals and so they would have a huge phylactery just to get attention. And then he mentions the borders on their garments. In other words, they wouldn't walk around like everyone else. Their garments had to set them aside. So at a glance, someone would say, oh, that's one of the religious leaders. Wow. As if that was something that they ought to receive great praise. And then the seats. They demanded the best seats in the feast or in the synagogue. In other words, they were just too good to sit with the common people. And then we read also about the fact that they wanted to be called by titles. 
There was nothing wrong with an individual being a rabbi, which meant teacher. But you see, these individuals, they didn't want individuals coming up and addressing them by name. They wanted individuals addressing them by a title. You can imagine someone in the marketplace addressing them by their name and them saying, "Uh uh-uh, you call me rabbi. How many times do we hear individuals today, they ask to be called by reverend. The King James, that's only in the Bible once. It's Psalms 111 and verse 9. It says, holy and reverend is his name. That's a double whammy. Number one, the title was wrong, to be asked to be called a title. And number two, to be asked to call God's description. Something is wrong with a mindset of individuals that say, oh, we're different. We're, 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 the, we're the religious leaders. We're not like the common God's people. We're the special God's people. And so here the Lord is teaching those that would be the next leaders in His church. And He says, you see all of this, where everything is about them, to be setting aside. What's the answer, Lord? He says at the end of verse 8, the answer is this. We are all brethren. We're on the same plane. We are family. That's why elders live among us. That's why we never see anyone in the Lord's church go by titles. Are elders elders? Yes. What if they demanded that we call them elder so-and-so? That would be completely against God's will. Why? We're all family. There is no such thing in God's family, anything other than we're people of God. What a blessing it is. Friends, the way we can become people of God is to step out of the world and into Christ. And when we do that, we're as close to the Father and we're receiving as much blessings from the Father as any other individual. If you've never been baptized in Christ for remission of your sins, won't you do that tonight and become a part of the people of God? If you have been baptized in Christ and sin is separated, won't you repent of that sin and, and let's confess it, let's pray forgiveness. If we can help you in any way, let's leave here tonight, all of us, being people of God. If we can help you, come as we stand, as we sing.